I can't stand waiting. Are you with me on that? I don't like waiting. I don't like waiting for stuff. I don't like waiting at stoplights. I don't like waiting for my food at a restaurant. I don't like sitting in the waiting room at the doctor's office. I mean, I love a 2005 Sports Illustrated as much as the next guy, right? Some old magazine. But I want to get it. I got here at 3 o'clock for my 3.15 appointment. Why is it 3.30? And I'm still sitting here. You know, I don't like waiting. Waiting is no fun. Are you with me? Waiting is no fun. But fortunate, unfortunately, recently, it seems like waiting is all we've been doing. We're just... We're waiting. We're waiting for the governor to make another announcement. We're waiting for this, you know, is the church going to let us come back and do stuff again? Are the schools going to open? Is this event that I wanted to go to going to happen? I'm just going to wait. We're just going to find out. It seems like we've just been sitting for four or five months waiting. And waiting is no fun. Well, today we're starting a teaching series uh, through the Bible, through the book of Acts. Acts is in the New Testament of the Bible, uh, and it's one of my favorite books of the, of the New Testament, to be honest. There's a lot, lot of good things. Uh, we actually did a teaching through the book of Acts. It was almost five years ago, and it was right before the, you know, it was actually well before the world turned inside out and went crazy, right? And so the book of Acts is the story of the first church, how the church began, how missionaries began to spread the word of Jesus around the Mediterranean Sea region that eventually went all over the world. And, and what's crazy is you can always look back to that book to see like the foundations of who we are as a church. So we were talking about it and saying, you know, we should return to Acts. Since the church and the world is kind of upside down right now, can we go to something that hasn't changed? And can we see where that can lead us? Uh, over the course of this uh, series, we're going to be, uh, there's, there's 26 chapters in the book of Acts, and we're going to cover it in just eight weeks. And to do that, we're going to use a little bit of a memory peg technique. Each week, we're going to have one word that represents that section of the book of Acts. And basically, if you learn those eight words over the course of this series, you will know an outline of the book of Acts, and you can kind of remember what's in there. And today, the word is wait. Waiting's no fun. Now, uh, I want to jump in with God's word this morning. We're going to be in the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter one, verse one. But before we get there, I want to kind of give you a little bit of context of like where we're coming to. Like, where does this begin and, and where do we come from coming into the book of Acts? Uh, as you turn over, grab your Bibles or flip down on your phones. Uh, the first thing you need to know about Acts is that this story begins just a few weeks after the resurrection of Jesus. It's a pretty exciting time for a lot of people. Uh, and the book of Acts spans several decades as the church begins to, uh, to grow. It starts as a small group of, of people, the, the, the most intimate followers of Jesus, but it will grow into a movement that spans the Mediterranean Sea region and beyond. And through the book of Acts, we're going to follow several key characters. We're going to meet Peter and John. We're going to see Philip very briefly, mostly Paul. He's kind of the guy we're going to follow for the most of the book. You see uh, some other guys, Luke being one of them, and Barnabas and some others. Uh, we're going to deal with a lot of topics. Uh, there's world politics going on here, conflict with military leaders, murders and theft and scandal. There are court scenes that rival any good court movie. Uh, there's a shipwreck, which is pretty epic. Uh, stories of, of strong women who in their communities rise up and, and they actually help it be possible for the gospel to be advanced in their region. We see tender personal stories of families um, as, as they each take their journey of faith. It's a really, really good book. Now, at its core, Acts is a history book, but it really covers a lot of different genres. And so for that reason, I really love Acts. And I would say that like be, being a history book, I'm a history buff myself. I love history. I really feel like history is, is in many ways better than fiction 
Because sometimes the stories that happen in real life are more than you could ever make up. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. That's the stuff we say all the time. Uh, a couple other things about Acts before we read it. Um, the author of Acts, okay. The book of Acts was written by, answer out loud at home if you know, written by Luke. Luke also famously wrote another book of the Bible. Can you guess what it was named? Luke, yeah. So Luke, the gospel of Luke, which is the story of the life of Jesus, was actually kind of a volume one of a two volume piece, Acts being the second volume. And it picks up basically where the book of Luke left off. Um, another cool thing about Luke is that he actually becomes a traveling companion to Paul in a large percentage of the book. So as you're reading through it on your own, I wanna encourage you to pay attention to the pronouns. If you're a language person, uh, there's gonna be a point where the author starts saying we, and that's Luke. He's talking because he was with them at that point. All right, so let's get into the book. Grab your Bible, it's gonna be in Luke, I mean, sorry, Acts chapter one, verse one. He starts like this in a kind of weird way. Luke says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. It's a pretty strange way to start a book about the church. Who's this guy? Theophilus, first of all. Well, Theophilus, we don't know a lot about him, um, but from the best that we can tell, he was someone who was very interested in the story of Jesus. And so it's possible that he commissioned Luke to kind of go do a research paper on the Jesus movement. And so maybe he paid for it. Maybe he was, uh, maybe he was a believer. Maybe he was not a believer, but he was just curious uh, because he thought it was plausible. Whatever the case, Luke seems to be writing this book. In fact, both Luke and Acts, those two books, for the benefit of Theophilus, but I'm glad that he did. Uh, we meet Theophilus first in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And so let's take a look at the first time we met Theophilus. This is in Luke chapter one and verse one. And it actually teaches us a little bit about Luke's style as he's uh, writing these books. Luke chapter one, verse one. Luke said, many have undertaken to draw up the accounts of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus, there's our guy again. So that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So one of Luke's biggest goals, as he stated in the gospel of Luke, and he continues on, is to kind of find like eyewitness accounts. He wants to really have a really good grasp on what actually happened with the Jesus story. So we see him interviewing people. Well, we don't see the interviews, but we see the quotes. We see actual places named. We see uh, important names and dates listed. And so we're indebted to Luke's attention to detail. In fact, many people in trying to seek out whether or not the Bible was reliable have found that Luke's accounts in both the book of Luke and Acts were very helpful because it lined up with other historical things that were going on. So thank you, Luke, for doing that for us. So we'll get back to the story now because as Luke is writing this two volume work, he kind of left us at the end of you know, volume one with a bit of a cliffhanger. I mean, it ended really well. It was a good ending to a good story. I mean, you got Jesus, he's been crucified. And then he rises from the dead. It's a pretty big deal, by the way. People don't raise from the dead, but he raises from the dead and he ascends back to heaven. It's a beautiful thing. It happens there at the end of Luke. What a finale. You know, what a great story. God triumphs over evil. You know, God wins. But then what? If you read books with lots of characters in them and, and the main plot resolves, but then there's all these other characters. You ever wondered, like what happened with them? Like what went on with their story? 
The cool thing about the book of Acts is that it kind of picks up there and it carries the story forward. Uh, I read at nights and uh, that's one of the ways I put myself to sleep at night. And I, I read a lot of crazy things and I, lo- I love fantasy. I love science fiction. I love historical works. And, but the, the books that drive me the craziest, but that also I love the most are those authors who have this unique ability to get you to the end of a chapter, okay? And you're on the edge of your seat and then the chapter ends. <laughs> you're like, Oh, shoot. You know, I can't go to sleep yet. I got to turn to the next page. I got to keep on reading. And they, they held you spellbind from chapter to chapter to chapter. And that's kind of what's going on here as we get into the book of Acts. Because remember the story of Jesus. And if you don't know it, let me tell you. Jesus did some incredible things in the world. People uh, saw him do miracles. He healed people. He cast out demons. He raised people from the dead. He cured diseases. They'd heard him talk about this kingdom that he was going to establish and they were excited about that. They had these thousands of people rallies to you know, rally around this kingdom that Jesus was gonna build. And Jesus ultimately had been the fulfillment of thousands of years of hope and prophecy. So this Jesus story had caught people's attention. He had them on the edge of their seats. And you can only imagine what these people who were watching the Jesus story unfold were thinking as Jesus' you know, story arc comes to an end. What's next? And how can I help? How can I be part of what's next in the story? So it's with this excitement that Luke starts. I mean, he says this little thing to Theophilus. And then we pick up in verse four. It says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You know, when you're watching your favorite TV show and and it's like this awesome, you know, climax of a show. And then have you ever had it where the screen just goes black and, and in white letters, big block letters, like three words pop on to be continued. And you're like, no, I so wanted to know what happened next, but you got to wait. And you know, when I was growing up, you had to wait till next week. Uh, but Netflix, they've got it figured out. They know that they got you hooked and they know we got a phrase for it. Binge watching. Like we just, I'm going to watch the whole series and season two and three and four. And then when that's over, I'm going to complain to the internet because five isn't out yet. Because we got to know, we got to know right now. And so these guys are pumped about all the stuff Jesus has done. And they gather up and they're like, what's next Lord? And he's like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to Jerusalem and wait. Say, huh, what? Wait, no, 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 no. We were going to establish a kingdom. We were gonna start a revolution. We were gonna go heal more people. We were gonna tell people about your, your glory. And about, no, 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 no. To be continued, go back to Jerusalem and wait, because I've got a gift for you. I've got something you need to see. Waiting's not fun. But I wanna take you on a little journey and, and, and get you to ask yourself, what is the hardest thing you've ever had to wait for? Christmas present, paycheck, <laughs> what is it? Uh, I've got a lot of things in my life I've had to wait for. I've always expressed that I don't enjoy waiting. But uh, back in the year 2000, it was December of 2000, uh, I got engaged to my now wife, Lindsay. It was December of 2000. Um, but we did not get married until May of 2003. Now, those of you who have been engaged before, you immediately are like, how long? 
That's a long engagement. And believe me, if anybody knows how long that engagement was, it's me, okay? We wait. It was a long wait. Uh, now, there were some reasons for that. Uh, there were some reasons for that. We, we had some college we needed to get through. We were pretty young. We were trying to be wise. We didn't have um, jobs, <laughs> money. So there were some things we needed to take care of first. Uh, it was a long wait. And so Jesus in this scene is having dinner with some of his closest followers. He's done these amazing things. People are starting to talk about him in a whole new way. He's risen from the dead for crying out loud. And he's talked about building this new kingdom. Like this seemed like the gears were in place. It seemed like the crank was turning. It's time to go. And out of nowhere, Jesus comes with this instruction. Like, I want you to wait. He says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So we're not done here. We got more to do, but go wait. For what? Well, he tells us, wait for this gift that the promise has, the Father has promised. Let's talk about this gift. This gift is like the most incredible gift that we could ever receive from God. Uh, the Spirit of God. We call him the Holy Spirit. We talk about the Holy Spirit a lot at Venture Church. Uh, we probably should talk about him more. The Spirit of God is an amazing active force in our lives from God. And here's how it works, basically. I mean, I'm not gonna pretend to understand how God works. I don't think that any of us have, you know, the corner on that knowledge. But the way we've begun to understand it historically is through the word Trinity, the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity, you're not gonna find it in the Bible. It's not a biblical word, but it's a pretty good concept of how God manifests himself to us. So there's kind of three ways that God shows up in our lives. The first way we talk about is God the Father. Now, God the Father is the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the person you think of like, when I'm gonna to pray to God, that's who I'm praying to. And he's kind of like, we think of it as like the main essence of God, though I'm not sure that's completely the way that, that we should understand it, but I don't know. Like I said, it's, it's, very, it's way above any of our pay grades. But it's God the Father. Now, God, when he decides to become a human, takes on his sef- second manifestation to us. That's gonna be uh, in his human form, Jesus. We call that the Son. So we've got the Father and the Son. Now, the thing about the Son is, we learned this in Philippians chapter two, that God released his claim to or his hold on all of the authority and all the power that he had as God the Father. And he allowed himself to take the likeness of a human being for a lot of reasons. The most important of which was so that he could live a perfect life and that he could die as the sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. It's a deep, majorly big piece of the story, but that's, that's God in the flesh. And so we know him as, as savior. We know him as Lord. We also see that he is elevated as, as king of all things. And so that's Jesus. Then we have the third manifestation. And that's what we're talking about here today. The Holy Spirit. Now, what is the Holy Spirit? I like to think of it as God's uh, soul, this is the spiritual essence of God. This, from what we understand, is the, the most uh, intimate way that God interacts with us. And think of it like you are living in a house, okay, and you, you got a roommate that moves in with you, okay, and so you're gonna share space with them. So we've got our own soul, but when God moves into our life in the form of the Holy Spirit, it's like he kind of, I don't know, grabs a bunk bed with us, and he starts to redecorate our house, he starts to move in. I've got a whole thing I say about God moving in as a roommate, uh, but th- that's, that's the triune nature of God. But the, the nature of the Holy Spirit is beautiful. But the Bible describes him in so many ways. He is a guide. He is a teacher. He is an advocate. He is uh, the comforter. Next week, we're going to talk about how he was the helper and continues to be. He comes into our life and he helps point us to God, helps us communicate uh, with God and, and empowers us in this world. And so Jesus tells the disciples, go wait 
because I'm sending you that. I'm sending you him. You think it was great to have me here in the flesh? Wait till God shows up in his spirit and moves among you. That's what they're waiting for. Wonderful things are worth the wait. Like, I mean, one reason Lindsay and I decided to wait so long before we got married, after we got engaged, was because we had some things to take care of. And we were, judge me if you want to, we were very young, okay? Uh, This is how young we were. Lindsay was still in high school. Yeah, she was 17 and I was 18. We dated in high school. I was one year older than her. I was in college. And so when I go to talk to her parents about marriage, you know, there's gotta be this moment where they're like, "Mm, okay, yeah, we'll see how that works out. Why don't y'all wait a little bit longer? Now, it's worked out great. We've now been married for 17 years and I think it was one of the greatest decisions that either one of us could ever make in our life. But we needed to wait. You know, wonderful things are worth the wait. The things that come from that time and the wisdom gained and the uh, experience gained and the opportunity to prepare. If you think about it, our lives are largely shaped by what we do while we're waiting for the next thing. Have you ever thought about how important the space between big moments is? Like people who struggle to embrace waiting and working through day-to-day routine, those people also struggle with stability. Because they're always rushing from one endeavor to the next thing and they tend to be unreliable or prone to stress. Like you just, it's important to embrace that space between. Think about it. You can't have a graduation without four, five, six years of study and preparation and learning and time, you know, spent doing the thing. They're not just, you can't just collect diplomas. You can't rush to graduation. You've got to do the work that it takes to earn that education. You can't have a great resume without sticking with a few jobs for a while. Like it's really important to do that. You can't have a healthy body without putting in the time it takes to build a a good diet and the good exercise routines and the sleeping and the drinking water. Like that, it takes time. And that's basically what's happening while you wait. You can't have a good reputation and respect without putting in the years and years of proving who you are. The wait is valuable. I mean, there's no retirement fund without, you know, putting a little bit from every paycheck for years. So we are largely shaped by what we're doing in the waiting, yet we say, I hate waiting. It's not fun. But is it possible that in the wait, God can do some of his most powerful and most meaningful work? And I think this was even true about the disciples. I mean, Jesus had told them to go back to Jerusalem and he, and he promised them the Holy Spirit but they didn't understand what all that meant. Their mind was not even in the right place yet. And you could tell that by what they say next. You see this in verse six. It says, they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now that might not strike you as weird, but all this time, while Jesus had been gaining this following and people had been following him around and getting all these crowds and all this stuff, many people assumed that Jesus's end goal was for the glory of the nation of Israel. I mean, they had heard all these stories growing up about the mighty King David and his armies and his gold and his, you know, his strength and all these important things. And so they hoped that Jesus was gonna rise up and reclaim that kingdom kick out the Romans because they were being occupied by the Roman government at the time, lead a rebellion and like be a mighty general and a mighty king. And so God has plans that are so much bigger for us than we could ever imagine for ourselves. But that's what they, I think that's what they believed. That's what they hoped. So they asked him, they're like, "Um, so, okay, so you want us to go wait in Jerusalem, but we just got to know, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And I just think Jesus with his knowing grin was like, (laughs) fellas, 
that's not even why I'm here. Oh goodness. Okay, yeah, no, just go. And I love his answer. He says to them, verse seven, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the father has set by his own authority. Then he reminds them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Jerusalem was the city. Uh, Judea was the region. Samaria was like the next region next door. So it's like, and to the ends of the earth, like your influence and this message is gonna grow. It's going to expand. It's going to spread. But listen, just go wait. You've got it all wrong. This isn't about some earthly kingdom. This is about heaven. This is about eternity. This is about the kingdom of God. And this adventure with God had taken these guys and these ladies on such a journey. I mean, this amazing journey. Many of the people standing there with Jesus at that time, they had been there with Jesus since he first started publicly preaching. You remember Jesus over by the river? Man, those are the days. That was cool. They'd heard the Sermon on the Mount, like live. Like even the jokes and stuff that didn't get written down in our Bibles, like they heard all that. They, they remembered all that. They had eaten the bread and the fish that he miraculously multiplied. I wonder what it tastes like. They had touched the skin of people who used to have leprosy, but Jesus healed them. They were there when he was arrested and when he was unlawfully sentenced to crucifixion. They saw him as he hung on a cross and they watched him die. They were the ones who ran in panic after they died because they thought, man, it's over now. The gig is up. And they're the ones that celebrated when they saw him rise again. And all of that was just a few weeks ago. It was so fresh when he did the unthinkable and he rose from the dead and showed them that his kingdom was alive and well. And they're ready to go, but the screen goes black. And it says, to be continued. Go wait. I've got a gift for you. Verse 11 happens. This angel shows up, okay? Verse 11, men of Galilee, why? I love when angels talk in the Bible. I always wonder if they're like, how long have you been standing there? Like, I don't know. But he's like, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. He's like, it's not over. In fact, it's just getting started. But go do what he told you to do. Go back to Jerusalem and wait. I'm telling you, you won't be disappointed. And that's how chapter one of Acts ends like a big to be continued sign in front of the story. Now, I've got good news. Even though the disciples did have to go to uh, Jerusalem and wait, you don't have to. You can binge watch the New Testament right now if you want to. Go on chapter two, keep on reading today. You can hear the rest of the story, some pretty amazing things. In fact, it's been going on for 2000 years and the story continues and we're living in it right now. It's a beautiful thing. But today I wanna ask you to consider what it means for you to wait. What it means for you to be grown in the waiting. And, and a couple of things, maybe you're waiting for a couple of things. Like here, maybe you're waiting for an invitation to dig in. Like guys, we're in week uh, 473 of home orders. Like we're sitting, you know, we've been doing this for a long and you're still watching church online, okay? So if you're in a place right now where you're like, yeah, I go to church all the time, but you haven't taken the time to really dig in. Can I encourage you? Don't wait any longer. That wait has been happening. And I wanna invite you to begin the growing process. Like you've seen this stuff happening and God said, listen, I'm gonna give you power. I'm gonna give, uh, give you like access to my presence in your life. 
I want to invite you to dig in. In fact, I have an invitation for you here as well. We've got, um, we've got some books. I've got about 20 of them at my house that we normally give out at church anytime someone wants to. It's, it's called More Than a Carpenter. Uh, the author of this book basically was, was a, a non-believer and he was set out to disprove Christianity. He had a bunch of Christian friends who were trying to like convert him. And he was like, listen, if I would prove to you that Christianity is a waste of our time, will you just shut up and quit begging me to go to church with you? And they were like, yeah. So he sets out on this big investigative trip and on the other end of it, he's convinced that Jesus indeed rose from the dead and he becomes a believer. And he writes this book, it's called More Than a Carpenter. Uh, since I'm not with you right now, I can't give it to you. But if you'll reach out to me through Facebook, just on our, our, our Facebook page, um, I will get you one this week. Like if I got to mail it to you or drive it to your house with a mask on, I'll do that. Because maybe what you need to do is dig in. You've got questions, you, you, you've got doubts, you've got fears, it's okay. We all do but there's some answers out there. So maybe that's something that you can do in the wait is dig in. Maybe something else that you can do is go ahead and decide. Like maybe you've been waiting to choose Jesus. I don't know what might be holding you back, but can I encourage you to go ahead and say, yeah, I've heard enough. I've seen enough. I want in. I want to know what Jesus can do in my life. Once again, uh, talk to someone at your house church right now if you're with them before you leave the day or a friend, uh, get up with us on Facebook. I'd love to connect you with one of our elders or a leader at our church that can maybe start a, a Bible study with you. Or maybe if you're ready, like we can have a baptism today at the beach and you could just go through that process of accepting Jesus and being immersed into him in the ocean. How cool would that be? Because this waiting game is a time that's supposed to grow us. And so maybe you've already been sitting there and it's time for you to actually make some decisions. The biggest weight, the last weight I'll talk about is the one that I hope that we're most excited about. And to be honest, we don't talk about it enough. Did you catch what that angel told those guys? He said, why are you standing here looking? The same Jesus that just went up, he's coming back. He's coming back. And one of the biggest truths of Christianity is that God loves us so much that he's gonna come back and, and collect us. I mean, he's gonna allow us into heaven. He's gonna open up his gates of his kingdom and let us in. I don't know what it's gonna look like. I don't know what it's gonna sound like, but it's been promised to us. How cool would it be that when Jesus comes back and he says, hey, what did you do while you were waiting for that? That we could say, I let everybody know about your love. I learned how to live in your grace. And I shared your message with everyone I could. We're in the wait now. But God's spirit's alive and well and moving among us. He could be back as soon as today. I don't know. I might not finish this video. <laughs> you might not finish watching it. It might be before we get to lunch today. It might be another 2,000 years. It's not for us to know the time or the day or the hour. But in the wait, we need to be about our Father's business. And that's week one of Acts. Let's pray.